Welcome to the PSD cast of Power Systems Design. I'm your host, Jason Lumberg, and in this episode, we're celebrating Women's History Month by chatting with the CTO of a major manufacturing company. Dr. Isabel Yang joined Advanced Energy in July 2018 as her Senior Vice President and Chief Technology Officer. Previously the Vice President of Corporate Strategy at IBM, Dr. Yang got her BS in Material Science and her MS and PhD in Electrical Engineering from MIT. Dr. Yang has three patents, over 40 technical publications, and last July, she joined Advanced Energy's senior leadership team as the company's new senior vice president and chief technology officer. It's my distinct pleasure to welcome Dr. Yang to the show. And Dr. Yang, thanks for joining us, and maybe you could start from the beginning. What made you decide to pursue a career in STEM? Yeah, well, happy to be here, um, and um, from my very early career, well, not even career, as I was growing up, you know, very small, uh, went very young, and I always had uh, interest in math and uh, physics because I, I liked those two topics, and I felt that I was good at them. Uh, in addition, you know, I, I just felt like physics kind of explains the world to me <laughs> in a way that mm-hmm. nothing else can. So that really, you know, appealed to me. And so I continued to pursue it, you know, through um, high school and then it went, turned, uh, went into university and then, you know, it just kept, kept progressing. Um, you know, physics and math, the foundation of our engineering, right? And um, that's, you know, essentially I like it and, and uh, explained a lot of things to me in the world that, uh, you know, most things cannot be explained, but physics explains a lot. So, um I, I still feel that way. Uh, anytime I uh, listen to the radio or read a magazine article or on Internet, that I see a new innovation in technology. Uh, it just intrigues me uh, to a great deal, and I love to learn about it and uh, read up upon it, even though not an expert. Right. But, you know, I, I feel like it just has that draw for me. Right, right, right. Well, very cool. Well, what was your – you know, let, let's fast forward a, a tiny bit. What was your first real – professional exposure to engineering. You know, how did that help shape your career path, and what are some of the most important things you learned along the way? Um, so I would say that, you know, when you say professional expo- uh, exposure to engineering, I, I, maybe I will revise that a little bit. I would say exposure to um, doing technical work in science, right? So my very, very first exposure professionally actually was um, – when uh, I was in high school, I was working at the um, City University in New York for a professor, essentially doing a DNA uh, analysis of uh, rat ovarian cells of how to grow them, and uh, you know, and then essentially detecting anomalies. Um, so that was, you know, my real first exposure to hands-on, I would say, scientific uh, research work which was really, really interesting because then I subsequently, uh, you know, wrote up the project and uh, submitted at that time, I think it was called the Westinghouse um, Science Project, uh, Science Fair. And that that was really the first very early exposure. I think I was uh, a sophomore in high school at that time. Um, And then since then, you know, uh, when I went into um, MIT as an undergraduate, I started my first a professional internship in the in industry with the IBM uh, research. <laughs> and there's been the, you know, everything kind of came full circle because I started as a 
intern at IBM Research um, as a sophomore, and I did my research there for two years um, in material science and engineering in, uh, in terms of looking at advanced materials um, for actually coding applications. And um, two internships later, you know, when I became a senior about to graduate, and I felt like, well, you know, I really I learned a lot, but my knowledge base is still pretty shallow. Um, so then I decided to go to graduate school. Um, and uh, at MIT, you're required to do a master's um, before you can pursue your PhD. So, you know, then onwards, um, and I've been on the same path essentially for most of my career. Right, and, and what a distinguished career it's been. And, you know, I'd, I'd love it if the most notable aspect of, of your career was the career itself. But I, I think our industry still is a, a, a while to go, and, and the STEM gender imbalance really is impossible to ignore. You know, I read a, an MIT study, I know you went to MIT, that said that 20% of undergraduate engineering degrees are awarded to women, which is small as it is, but then only 13% of the engineering workforce is female. Well, why do you think so few women pursue engineering degrees, and even fewer uh, end up in STEM fields? Yeah, so I, I think is when you get into a top school, especially engineering fields, right, and uh, when, when you get into a school with really good engineering program, I think one of the things that when you enter initially, even when I got there, it was a little bit of a shock to the system because, number one, you're in the school, you're in the, you know, in the program with essentially most of the top students and from from the country, and then not only that, most of them are male, right? So there's that mm. kind of initial intimidation factor, and, and it takes a lot, to, you know, and quite grueling to go through the program and and and, and graduate. And you know, I I think a lot of the reasons why women, even though they get their engineering engineering degree and decide not to stay engineering, I think has a lot to do with probably what they. Um, experience uh, as a, the environment in which, you know, they did their studies in, number one. And number two, um, it could be perceived as a field that is very difficult to progress upwards and forwards um, because the competition is pretty stiff and most of them, most of your uh, peers are actually male. Now, I have friends that I went to um, MIT with and uh, female friends and half of them actually graduated and ended up uh, working for the financial industry. Now, that's not to batmouth, um, you know, engineering or STEM professions when you build that foundation. What's really great about it is that once you have that foundation, actually, the critical thinking skills, uh, the ability to, you know, uh, analyze and distill information from massive amounts of information and create a logical sequence um, of uh, reasoning and, and uh, be able to distill out the essence of the information. I think those are really critical skills that you build up uh, from a STEM, uh, by being in the STEM field and, and a uh, STEM discipline, which then they became uh, transferable skills into other uh, professions. But yeah, I mean, I think it's, <laughs> it's unfortunate uh, many of them do not stay in the uh, STEM or engineering area to continue to progress their uh, career. And I think that needs to uh, uh, change a little bit because, um, you know, my current company at AE, one of the things that I really try to drive is uh, diversity, but, but not 
diversity just in terms of gender and race, but really diversity of thought, right? I think that's Mm -hmm. critically important, especially um, for women in STEM. You know, we tend to communicate a little bit differently, and um, the ability to listen um, from our counterparts and be able to understand, absorb what we're trying to say is, is really important because some, we have some really great ideas and a lot of times I just don't think women engineers get hurt. Right, right. And it really is um, a, a big shame that so few women end up staying in, in the engineering professions and, and there's the perception that it's, it's maybe like a boys club because you, you probably heard this said many times by, by many different presidents, especially recently, that we have a STEM shortage in this country. Where we are in desperate need of qualified engineers, and especially amongst women, you know, ignoring half the population for, for our high-tech 21st century workforce, it won't do. And, and we're, if we don't try to fix that, we're just going to end up falling farther and farther behind the rest of the world. So... How, how do we get more young girls interested in STEM? You know, how do we encourage them to, to join our industry? So, you know, this is, a, this is a question I think a lot of us who has been in the industry for a while, um, you know, try to tackle and, and struggle with that some, uh, sometime. And I think the most important thing, there's several, right? One is that we ourselves, we have to be exemplary um, models, right, for our, for our children, for our, you know, friends' children who want to look at, look at a female uh, engineer or technologist and, and who have done well. And, you know, it's, it's a source of encouragement for them that there is a path to get there, right? There are few of us, but there is a path to get there, number one. And then the second thing, which is really important, I think, is that we need to start early. Uh, and I'm talking about probably in elementary school to expose young girls to STEM, right, through um, science fair. And, and um, you know, I, I, I have personally, because I, I have two kids, you know, my, both of my kids have done science projects, and we encourage them to start literally in elementary school, you know, fourth or fifth grade, oh, because yeah. you need to stimulate that kind of thinking and, and that, that, that curiosity. You know, when kids are young, they're all very curious, right? And you need to keep that going. And, and for STEM in particular, when you see that spark, you need to keep them going. And my, uh, my son is a physics major in, um, at, at UC Berkeley, and my daughter actually is a, is a sophomore now uh, in high school, and uh, she also has a bent towards uh, a STEM. She's very much interested in computer science because she happens to be very good at math, right? And, you know, she sees around her that um, – and yesterday was very interesting because she says something to me, you know, since we're starting to look at colleges, she goes, well, you know, some of the people I see who want to get into a computer science, I don't know, you know. And, and, and I'm kind of reading between the lines is that probably some of the interactions uh, that she's been in, you know, whether it's in the class or uh, in the club, maybe that's not too appetizing to her, if you will. And, mm. and so I said, look, you know, don't be discouraged because as you go through, there will be obstacles, but you got to figure out how to deal with them. And, of course, you know, I share some of my own experiences um, with her to, to encourage her. Um, so start young, um, I think, is key. And then the second thing is we ourselves, you know, if I see my colleagues uh, who are progressing through the ranks, that we need to be exemplary role models uh, for, for, for our kids and, and kids in school. I used to volunteer, actually, when my kids were very young, 
uh, in their schools, and that was like first, second grade. That's just to, you know, to already start doing interesting math problems and math projects with them at a very young age just to get them interested. Um, I think the critical age, frankly, is, uh, <laughs> is junior high school or middle school, if you will, when girls start to have other interests, right? And, mm. and, and that's where I think it's really, really critical that we have programs to encourage them and hold their interest um, in STEM. Um, there are, um, you know, uh, coding programs where, you know, you have essentially form a little club. You know, there's a program called Girls Who Code, right? I think that's a great program for girls because essentially you only take girls and you, you um, create a little club and they have, uh, they come together and they do a community-oriented project which you use, um, you know, software coding to, to resolve. And the, first, it builds that sense of uh, camaraderie among the girls. The second, they feel like they accomplished something. So, you know, programs like that, you know, we should have more of those. And, and it's cr critical we address um, that transition year, middle school, junior high school, uh, into high school years, that those girls are key because we lose a lot of them during that age span. Mm, right, right, right. Well, let's bring it back to the present. What, what does your current role entail? You know, I, I read the press release, but I, I like to hear it straight from the source. What's your main area of focus at Advanced Energy? Yeah, so I, uh, as you mentioned earlier, I joined Advanced Energy um, July of last year. I am their first CTO <laughs> and uh, female CTO, which is wonderful. Um, my main focus, at Advanced Energy is, you know, sum it up in one word, innovation, right? And what, what, what does innovation mean for uh, Advanced Energy? I mean, the industry that we're in is changing uh, rapidly. Um, power electronics, um, power management, power control, which is what this company's core competency is um, centered on. And um, what I need to do for the companies really is to look at three years, five years, ten years down the road. What does technology innovation mean to us? How do we transform because we cannot stay still? Um, are we going to continue to innovate in the power space? Are we going to continue to, um, you know, stay in the same industries? Or are we going to create new innovations that diversifies the business and help the business to grow? That is my primary role here. And I engage on a daily basis, you know, with engineering, with engineering team, and we look at things uh, at the current technology innovation in power control systems. You know, are we using um, wideband gas semiconductors in our design? I mean, that's like the lowest level of discussion. To okay, what does the next generation power controls look like? Right? I mean, for a factory. Uh, semiconductor fabrication factory. You know, what does that look like? Uh, do we see Internet of Things or inter industrial Internet of Things being per so pervasive that we need to change how we do our design, create our communication protocols, and to enable our customers to be more effective and efficient in, in their production. So my main focus is around innovation and moving the company forward in, that, uh, in the direction that we need to get to. Mm -hmm. Well, that's terrific. It sounds like you're, you're definitely at the tip of the spear over there. And, and that being said, any developing projects you'd like to share with our audience? Well, so my, uh, when I first started here, and, the, and one of the things I really, really wanted to drive 
is um, digital transformation, right? And as part of digital transformation, we are a critical component supplier to major manufacturers. So what does that mean? We need to understand what industrial IoT means to us from an automation perspective, from a connectivity perspective, and from a, a big data analytics perspective. So um, the project um, that I have been focusing on in the past, I will say, you know, three to four months has been in that area of, you know, understanding the implication of industrial IoT to our business and how do we move forward. Mm -hmm. Well, th thanks again, Dr. Yang. I, I want to thank you for your time. And just a reminder for everyone out there in podcast land that the, the PSD cast is now available on iTunes, and the link is in the description. Um, thanks again, Dr. Yang, and to our audience, thanks for tuning in.